Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible mercy and grace and love you have lavished upon us. That we should be called children of God. And that is who we are. And it's not because we have done anything. It's all because of what your Son has done on our behalf on the cross. Where his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, where he paid the penalty for our sins, where he satisfied your wrath, and where our sins have been atoned for, all of it, our sins in the past, present, and future. And Lord, I pray that as we continue in our worship, as we celebrate what you have done among our students, as we open up your word that your name will be glorified. As we see how how David is longing for a savior. As he's looking forward to the full assurance of the Holy Spirit. May we realize that we have that full assurance. That the Holy Spirit is our guaranteed deposit, our seal, So that regardless of our performance, if we are in you, Lord Jesus, you, Father, look at us as perfect because you see Christ's perfection and righteousness in us. You see the spirit of Christ in us. And Lord, may we never take it for granted. And may we be in awe of it. So speak, Lord, and may your name be glorified. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to uh, Psalm 51 as we are um, in our second week looking at the second part uh, of Psalm 51. I, I certainly was hoped to, to knock out Psalm in one Sunday, but that did not happen. So we're, we did the first seven verses, and we're going to look at verse 7 again and then wrap it up. But uh, Psalm 51 is a Psalm of David when the prophet Nathan confronted David of his sin with Bathsheba. And so if you're not familiar with the story, you can read about it in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11 and chapter 12. But really what Psalm 51 is, Psalm 51 is a personal lament of David. And really what we see in this psalm is David's brokenness before the Lord as he's confessing his sin. We, we see David's dependence on the Lord as he's asking the Lord to forgive him and to renew him and to restore him and saying, God, I can't do this. I need you to act. And then we kind of see David in the end of the psalm kind of uh, go to a praise and a deeper commitment to the Lord. And so we have to understand like this psalm is not like a a, a psalm that kind of teaches you of how to ask for forgiveness or receive forgiveness. Like this is a psalm that expresses to us what genuine brokenness looks like. And I think it's helpful for us to read through this, especially if we struggle with sin. Like, are we generally broken? Do, do, we, do we see David's brokenness, and do we see that brokenness in us? And this is what this psalm helped us. Now, in the beginning of Psalm 51, we, we see how, how David is in desperate need of the Lord's divine forgiveness. He, he recognizes that he cannot do anything about it. The only thing he can do is throw himself at the mercy of God. So he starts off this psalm as he pleads for God's mercy. Where he says, forgive me, be gracious to me. Not because I've asked for it, but because of your character. Because you are faithful in love. You are abundantly compassionate. 
And because of his sin, he feels dirty, and he understands this dirt is not something he can just wash off with soap and water, but rather it is a dirt deep inside that only the Lord can cleanse him. So he's asked the Lord, Lord, cleanse me, wash me. And then David continues, and we see he's fully aware of his sin, knowing that he sinned against the Lord and the Lord alone. And then in verse 4, he makes this staggering claim. He, in, a, in a sense, he's saying, like, regardless of the outcome, Regardless of your judgment, whether I face the consequences of my actions and the judgment and the punishment and the penalty of it, you remain righteous and just. In other words, what he is saying is if the Lord decides to extend mercy to him, the Lord is righteous and just. If the Lord decides to destroy him, the Lord is righteous and and just. And really what we see, look at this genuine picture of brokenness. Not only uh, is he fully aware of his evil actions, but he's aware that he, those evil actions are against the Lord and the Lord alone. And he is willing to face whatever consequences there is to face and still will say, the Lord is righteous and just. And then as David is confronted by his sin, he gets even more pricked uh, by his own sinfulness. Like he doesn't say, you know what, my sin was a mishap. It was a one-time thing, I'll never do it again. But rather he is saying, my sin is a condition, a condition, a brokenness that I've been born with, a corruption that started at the moment of conception. And he's not making it an excuse. He's not going on the other side and say, you know what, I've done it. This is just who I am. This is just what I do. No. He is saying this to be aware of it as he's drawing this distinction between God as holy and righteous and good and we are corrupt through and through. That we need the Lord to act. That the Lord gives us his righteous uh, commands and he demands us to walk in integrity and in truth and because we are corrupt through and through, there's no way we can walk and respond to his commands in integrity and truth. And the only way we can do that is if the Lord gives us wisdom from above that really changes the core of who I am. In other words, what he is saying is, I can't keep the Lord's commands. I can't walk in integrity and truth that the Lord demands. I need salvation. I need him to come and save me. And so uh, let's look at verse 7. I know we looked at it last week, but I want to look at it again, and we're going to talk about it and then pray through it. Look at verse 7. It says, Purify me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. And so in David's prayer for renewal and restoration, if you're taking notes, the very thing that he is praying for, the first thing he's praying for is this. David prays for God's cleansing. He prays for the Lord's cleansing, and he uses two metaphors. The very first metaphor, he says, purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Now, we talked about it last week, so I'm going to, again, talk just to, so that we can move on with it. But, but the idea of purifying with hyssop, basically what he's doing, he's praying that the Lord would act like a priest by using hyssop. It's not hyssop that cleanses him, but rather hyssop symbolizes that he has been declared clean. 
So what he is saying is, Lord, I need you to act like a priest and declare me clean. Now, in the Old Testament, when you, you become unclean, where you touch an unclean animal or you touch a, a dead body or a corpse uh, or whatever, or you become unclean if you have a rash or a skin disease or leprosy, you become unclean. And, and part of that ritual is you have to isolate yourself from camp, go outside of camp for a period of time, and then present yourself before the priest, and hopefully the priest will look you over and see that there is nothing that makes you unclean and declares you clean and the only thing the person if you touch the dead animal or something that defiled you you're fine you're, you're more than likely going to make it but if you have leprosy if you have a skin disease the only thing you can do is hope that the lord would heal you and that as you stand before the priest that he would somehow not see anything and declare you clean and what David is saying is, somehow, I need the Lord to declare me clean. Now, is he clean? No, because he just said, cleanse me. I, I'm dirty. And so basically, he's looking for the Lord to, 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 to declare him clean. And then the second metaphor he uses in verse 7, he says, wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. In other words, this metaphor signifies this newness of life. Not only do I need you to declare me clean, I need you to make me brand new. So David is asking the Lord to somehow act and to declare him clean and to make him brand new. Now, from David's perspective, he knows this is what he needs from the Lord. But he has no idea how the Lord is going to be able to do it. But yet he asks, and what's he dis what is he displaying? He's displaying faith. He's saying, I need the Lord to act. I don't know how the Lord is going to act and do it, but this is what I need is from the Lord, and I'm trusting him to somehow do it. Now, for us, we read this story because we know the full story, and because Christ has come, what is, what is David longing for? He's longing for Jesus. Because how did God come and act and declare us clean? How did God come and make us brand new? He didn't just wave a wand. He sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, to take on our sins upon himself and pay for the penalty and satisfy the wrath of God so that we can be declared clean, so that we can be made new. On what basis? On the basis of grace, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross on our behalf. And this has been made available through faith. So David is longing for a savior. He's longing for God to come and declare him clean. He's longing for God to come and give him new life. He's longing for Jesus, a Savior. The second thing he, he prays for, if you're taking notes, not only does he pray for God's cleansing, but he also prays for restoration of joy. L look at verse 8. He says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And then over to verse 12, he says, Restore the joy of your salvation to me. What is he doing? The metaphor of his bones of being crushed is the metaphor of God's judgment as he faces the consequences of his sin. What, what does sin do? To its core, it 
destroys you. It crushes you. It kills you. So David is not, in a sense, saying, you know what, just help me to think happy thoughts in the moment of this being crushed. What he is saying is, I need the joy that's from your salvation. In other words, the first thing I think we can kind of learn is that joy comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. And this joy is not some emotional expression. It is not dependent on your outlook of life, of your seeing the glass half full, and you're just trying to be positive and trying to smile. But rather, this joy that he's talking about is contended in resting in God, and it is as a result of being reconciled to God and at peace with God. In other words, what he is saying is, as you are declaring me clean, as you are making me new, now the sin that have crushed me, the sin that have killed me, you bring me joy. How? By reconciling me to yourself. And now there's no longer sin that separates us, but there is peace between me and you. And that gives me joy. And this is one of the things we have to understand. Our joy is rooted in God and what He has done, and it comes from Him because we have been reconciled and we are at peace with God. So when we find ourselves in chaos, when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, when we find ourselves wrestling and even crushed by sin, why can't we have joy in the middle of it? because we've been reconciled to God. We have peace with God. On what basis? On the basis of our performance? No, on the basis of Christ, God's salvation. And this is why I think this verse is very important. Restore the joy of whose salvation? Your salvation, you have accomplished. In other words, he's saying, I'm reconciled. I'm at peace with God, not because I've done anything, but because he has done everything. And this is what he's asking for. Help me to realize that when you declare me right, when you make me new, when you cleanse me and you forgive me and you show me mercy and grace, there is a joy because I have been reconciled. I'm at peace with God and it's only something God can do. And so this is what he's asking for. The third thing if you're, uh, that he's asking for in his prayer for renewal and restoration is David prays, if you're taking note, David prays for a clean heart. Look, look at verse, verse 9. Not, not only is he asking the Lord to cleanse him and to restore joy, but also a clean heart. Verse 9 says this, Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. So in verse 10, the word create a clean heart for me, that's the exact same word that's used in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. When God created the world, when he created everyone and everything, that same word create, the same word that, that, that David says, I need you to create a clean heart. David knows that the redirection of his desires and his thoughts can only come about through the intervention of God. He knows 
that even though the Lord can forgive him, even though the Lord can cleanse him and give him joy, what is he still stuck with? A corrupt heart. The root of his problem is a corrupt heart. And what is he longing for? For the Lord to take out that old heart, that hard heart, and replace it with a heart of flesh. Give him a new heart that transforms him to the core of who he is. And who can do it? Only God can do it. He cannot do it. Because David understands his heart is corrupt through and through from the moment of conception. A clean heart only comes from the Lord who creates. And so as he's asking for a clean heart for the Lord to create, he continues even ask in verse, in verse 10, he says, a renew, a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And then the second part of verse 12, he says, well, I'll just read verse 12. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. David understands that even though the Lord might give him a clean heart, a new heart, and forgive him, there's no way on his own that he can obey the Lord. What does he need? A steadfast spirit, a willing spirit, a holy spirit. And without the Holy Spirit, he cannot walk in obedience because he understands as soon as the Lord forgives, he has a tendency to move away from the Lord. So not only does he need the Lord to save him, he also needs the Lord to sustain him. He needs the Holy Spirit. Now, in, in the Old Testament, David knew about regeneration. He knew about renewal. But he really did not have much assurance of the benefit of that covenant because of the sacrifice. So in other words, in the Old Testament, there was not a lot of assurance. Why? Because you had a, as the author of Hebrews said, you had an imperfect sacrifice. What, 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 what sacrifice did they have? Animals. Could, and the, the author of Hebrews says, could animals remove sin? No, it could not remove sin. And what did you have to do with an animal sacrifice? Continually sacrifice it, trusting that somehow the Lord is going to forgive. There's hardly any assurance. And so David is looking back and he's looking at King Saul who rebelled against the Lord. And what did the Lord do? Remove his Holy Spirit from him. And David knew he did not have that full assurance. And so all he could do is in faith trust the Lord that Lord is, Lord is going to be gracious and merciful to him. And yet what do we have? Not only do we know about regeneration and renewal, but we have what? We have the assurance. Why? Because we have the perfect sacrifice. The sacrifice that was able, able to take away the sins of the world. And it was only sacrificed once and for all. And it's because the perfect sacrifice that covered our sins that we received the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, as Paul says, is our guaranteed deposit. It seals our forehead. So when God looks at us, he sees his spirit inside of us. And here's the point I, I want to make with this. So many times we read the Old Testament and we wish we lived during the time of the Old Testament. Like I just wish the Lord would speak in a bush, fiery bush or from a mountain or I would see the pillar of smoke or, or the fire that just consumes everything. 
And David is saying, are you kidding me? I had no assurance. I had to hope that this dumb animal would somehow satisfy, knowing it will never satisfy, and longing for a Savior to come to take away my sin. And that's what you have. You have the full assurance of the Holy Spirit, the guaranteed deposit. So this is what we, what we have. And so as we, uh, as we kind of pray through, through this prayer, like, like, like I want us to read this and pray this through our lives. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a time, read verses 7 through verses 12, and pray this prayer in your life in your own words using this text, and then I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we'll move on. Let's pray this prayer. Lord, cleanse me. Wash me as white as snow. Give me joy and help me to realize I'm at peace with you. You are not disappointed in me. You do not tolerate me or hate me. But you love me. You rejoice in me. You delight in me. You approve of me. And it's not because I'm good. It's not because I've earned it. It's not because I've deserved it. It's not because it's even your job and you're supposed to. It's because of Jesus Christ that have declared me righteous, that have made me new. It's because of your spirit that lives inside of me. And when you look at me, you don't see me with all of my flaws and all of my sins and all of my struggles and all of my mistakes and all of my shortcomings. You see me as perfect. Help me to realize this truth so I can rejoice in it because you have reconciled me. You have made peace between me and you. And Lord, continue to purify me Continue to give me a willing, a steadfast spirit. Help me to rely on the Holy Spirit that you've given me. That gives me a willingness to walk in obedience to your commands. In Jesus' name, amen. In David's personal confession of sin, And the prayer of of God's gracious renewal of his inner being, his heart, forms really the basis of his instruction for sinners, his praise and deeper commitment to the Lord. Look, Look at verse 13. He says, then. In other words, as a result of all that God is going to do as I'm trusting him. To clean me. To restore to me joy. 
to give me a new heart, to make me new, to forgive me. Because of that, in verse 13, then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed. God, God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart, God. In other words, what David is saying, if forgiven, his life will be completely changed. And he is committed to use his life to help others find forgiveness. In other words, because David, a sinner who has experienced God's amazing, incredible grace, he wants others to experience it. He says, I'm going to devote myself for other sinners to experience the incredible mercy and grace and forgiveness of God as I teach them your instruction." And then he breaks up and prays. He says in verse 14, second part of verse 14, And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You see, the only response to divine deliverance is, is praise. The reason why we as Christians come and we gather and we sing and we shout and we praise is not because we are weird. It's because the Lord has saved us. And when the Lord has saved you, the only thing that you can do is praise. And this is why we do it. This is why we praise the Lord, because He's delivered me. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything to contribute to it. He saved me. And David says, I will praise you. I will sing of your righteousness. Now, now think about this again. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. Now, God's righteousness is manifested in two ways. The first way God's righteousness is manifested is manifested in his judgment and condemnation of sin. And basically, God's righteousness is manifested when he punishes sin. But his righteousness is also manifested when it's revealed when he overcomes sin. And Paul tells us in Romans, Romans chapter 3, the righteousness of God is revealed in Christ. So what's David saying? I will sing of your righteousness. I will sing of your Savior that will come and somehow take care of the penalty and the price of sin. And this is what David is saying. David looks with this renewed favor from the Lord. And he freely praises God for his grace. And then he says something kind of a little strange. He, he says in verse 16, You don't want a sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. Now, he's not opposed to sacrifices because in verse 18 and verse 19, he's going to talk about, verse 19, he's going to talk about sacrifices. But what he is saying, this is what the Lord desires. The sacrifice that the Lord desires, that pleases the Lord is what? Look at, look at your Bible, verse 17. A broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humble heart, God. 
In other words, what does he mean by that? He is saying in a sense, I can't take care of my sin by just offering a sacrifice and God accepting it. In other words, I can't save myself. There's nothing I can do. If I could, I would have, but I can't. But what does God accept? What does God never turn down? A broken and humble heart. Think, think about the implications of the gospel here and think about the irony here. In our culture, who does God accept? Good people with good, clean, pure hearts. So come to God, clean yourself up before you come. And yet, what does David say? The only heart you accept, the only heart you desire is what? A broken heart that is humbled. Not a good heart that is arrogant because the reality of it is there's no such thing as a good heart. They're all been corrupted with sin. The only difference between the one that is supposedly good and the one that is broken is the one realizes it's broken, the other one doesn't. And David is saying, the only heart that the Lord accepts is one that is broken and that recognizes its brokenness. This is what you desire. Think about that implication for your life. Anybody had a bad week? Anybody sinned? Anybody feel like a failure? Anybody feel like shortcomings and you're never good enough? Good. Come and humble yourself before the Lord so he can accept you. This is what, they, this is what you desire. And so I want us to pray this, but, but think about these questions. As you think about your life, do you have a humble, a broken and humble heart? Like, do you realize and recognize your shortcomings and realize you can't save yourself? But to the core, you are corrupt. And there's nothing you can do about it. Have you experienced his amazing grace in your life? Have you received this new life? This life that is committed to declaring the praises of God, this life that is committed to seeing others experience God's grace. Why don't you start praying this for your life? Like, take a moment and pray this for your life as you look at these verses and say, Lord, help me in this. Break my heart, humble me. Pray for this, and then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to realize or recognize our brokenness and our inability to stand before you. May you humble our hearts. May you help us to realize that you do not require nor desire sacrifices or burnt offerings, but you delight in a broken heart a humble heart that stands before you. Lord, you know everybody in this room. You know the condition of their heart. You know where they are in life. You know those who are depending on themselves for salvation and those that have thrown themselves at your mercy. And Lord, I pray for all of us. Can we feel the heaviness of our brokenness and our inability? Can we, in a sense, experience your incredible mercy and grace and never take it for granted? So it may stir up in our hearts a praise for you 
a deeper commitment to you so that we may make you known among the nations. Come, Lord, open up our eyes. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at verse 18, we see the, des- the restoration of the king that leads to the blessings of the people. Verse 18 says this, In your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Now, it's easy for us to, to, to read verse 16 saying he does not like sacrifices, he doesn't like burnt offerings, and now all of a sudden he, he says in verse 19, then you will delight in righteous sacrifices. But think about how this prayer is going. When would you say David is kind of experiencing this restoration or this quote-unquote salvation as we can speak? It's happening uh, throughout from, from verses 7 all the way up through verses 17. And what does he do as a result of this renewed favor? Now he's sacrificing, not because he has to, but because he wants to. Because he has seen how the Lord has looked upon him in renewed favor. And he also understands like, like, like his sin has consequences. His walking in his sin as the king will impact Jerusalem, will impact Israel, the people of God, and his restoration will also impact it, understanding that that because he's been restored, it will lead to a blessing to the people of God. And what we need to understand, and I hope you understand this, is that your sin impacts everybody around you. Do not believe the lie of Satan. Your sin only impacts you. No one will find out about it. Keep it concealed. Don't talk about it. Don't say, no. It impacts you and it impacts everybody around you. And the flip side of it is your restoration, your renewal impacts everybody around you. And so David starts like after he thanks the Lord almost for this renewal and this deeper commitment. He says, my life is committed to laying it down, not because you need that or require that. I do it delighting, lovingly, joyfully, graciously, wanting because of what you have done for me. So let's pray this prayer. Let's pray this for our lives. Ask the Lord to to, to, to renew you, to restore you so that that he will bless you and those around you, that you'd be willing to delight and and, and sacrifice to him, not because you want to, but because you have to, because of what he's done for you. And then I'll close us in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that you have accomplished for us in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you do not despise a broken and humble heart. And that when we come before you, you renew us, you restore us. And because of what you have done, we can gladly lay down our lives. We can gladly sacrifice everything to you. Not to get something, because we already have you. And so, Lord, my prayer for us this morning is your people. Can this this psalm force us 
as we come to the table to confess our sins? And can it also give us the assurance of salvation, the forgiveness we have because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we get to the table, the table represents, there's a lot of meaning in this table, but two things this table reminds us of and really forces us to do, and this is what I want to focus on. The very first thing this table forces us to do is to confess our sins. One of the ideas I want to eradicate, I want to take an atomic bomb and blow it up, is this idea of before I can come to this table, I need to clean myself up. And some of you might abstain from from communion because you have sinned. What does this table do? This table forces you to do what? It forces you to confess your sins. In other words, it tells you that you can come to this table confessing your sins because what is on this table? And what's on this table? Think about it. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. So you coming to this table is not how how good of a week you had, but is how good he is. Now, if this table had nothing on it and it was based on your performance, then on this table will be a picture of you and all the good activities you have done. But guess what's not on this table? Not you nor your activities, nor your performance, but rather the body broken for you, the blood shed for you. So so what did this table invite you to do? It says, come, and in faith confess your sins. Now there's also a warning. When are you not allowed to sit at the table? It's not because you have sin. That actually qualifies you to sit at the table. It's when you refuse to confess your sins. Because when you refuse to confess your sins, what you're communicating is saying, I don't think Jesus' sacrifice is enough for me. So you're not coming to this table. You're going to that table where there's a portrait of you and your performance. And you're looking at it and saying, I need to clean that up. That needs to be polished a little better so I can come to this table. But that doesn't exist. And so this table says, no, come. You've sinned? Confess it. Jesus' body is broken for you. His blood is shed for you. And so it forces us to confess our sins. But then the second thing it also gives us is assurance. How do I know when I confess my sins that there will be forgiveness? Because again, this table is not empty. What does this table have? Symbolizes, Symbolizes the body of Christ broken for you the blood of christ shed for you in other words it reminds you of the perfect sacrifice that was sacrificed once and for all and this is what this table reminds us of this is where we can come to this table and so if you have had a bad week you've lived in sin confess as you come to this table but if you refuse to confess If you refuse to look to Christ in faith and you want to clean yourself up, then don't come to this table. This table forces you to look to Christ. 
And then I think for some of you, hopefully it provides assurance that knowing that in your struggle and in your sin, you can come because of the perfect sacrifice. How do I know the Lord will forgive me? Because of the sacrifice that's perfect. And so as we hand out these elements, I'm going to pray for us, and these are the two things I want you to think about as it forces you to confess your sin, knowing there's forgiveness, as it gives you assurance that the Lord will forgive you because of the wonderful sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Let me pray for us, and then we'll distribute these elements. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace. I thank you for this table and what it represents. Your body that is broken for us, your blood that is shed for us as we can come freely confessing our sins, knowing that you've paid for it in full, knowing there's forgiveness. And we're guaranteed this forgiveness because of this perfect sacrifice. And Lord, we, may we never take it for granted. May we always remember. Help us not to buy into the lies of the enemy that we need to clean ourselves up before we can come. But help us in our brokenness humble ourselves as we come, as we cling to the cross, as we cling to you, Lord Jesus. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think about your week. Think about your life, all of your shortcomings, all of your failures, all of your rebellion, your transgression, your sin. And as you confess it before the Lord, you have this guarantee of forgiveness. How? Why? Because of Jesus Christ. As you take this bread that represents the body of Christ, you are reminded that his body was broken for you. So you eat it in remembrance of him. Take it and eat it. You pick up this cup and you're reminded of the blood of Christ that covered all of your sins, your sins in the past, present, and future, the new covenant you have in him, and you drink it in remembrance of him. Take it and drink it. Now I want you to thank the Lord for his mercy and for his grace. May it stir up in you a, a deeper commitment to him, a praise to him because of what he has done. As you cherish the precious cross, it doesn't give you a license to continue in your sin, but it gives you the freedom from your sin to say no to sin because you no longer belong to it. Because he has saved you. He has cleansed you. He has given you a new heart. And he gives you his Holy Spirit, a steadfast, willing spirit to walk in obedience, to no longer live for yourself, but to live for him and him alone. 
And this is what we're reminded of at this table. We belong to him. Our allegiance is to him. We're sitting at his table because of what he has done. God, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. Lord, help us to walk in joyful obedience. Help us to recognize what you've accomplished for us on the cross. Help us to never forget as we cling to the cross, as we fight against our sins and our rebellion and transgressions against you, knowing that you have overcome. Give us strength. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and let us praise our Savior.